athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I just looked at my wrist, I got time today. You're locked in to the Dopey Show on radio. This is Box Toro. I am your host, Donald Ware. We are now less than a month away from the start of the college football season, and more specifically, the HBCU football season. As the Big South had its media day this week, the MEAC had its media day this week, the SIAC with the virtual media day. And I'm telling you, like, I'm ready to rock and roll, right? Like, it's been two years. The last football game, the last college football game that I called, of course, being the play-by-play voice of North Carolina A&T football. Very uh, proud and excited uh, to be. Back in 2019, it was the Celebration Bowl, the victory over Alcorn State. And, I mean, it. I, I'm, 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 I'm amped up and ready to get back into calling A&T football and college football games. And appropriately, I think, when you look at the Big South, and, and we're going to talk more about uh, college football. I mean, obviously, you have the big news with Texas and Oklahoma uh, stating uh, their respective intentions to the SEC, that they're looking to join uh, the SEC, which is a whole nother uh, conversation. But anyway, in the Big South, Monmouth, Monmouth is picked to win the Big South. And I think that's appropriate. I, I think it's appropriate when you look at Monmouth and what Monmouth has been able to accomplish over the last uh, couple of years. As a matter of fact, that game, a and and Monmouth, uh, is going to be, it's, it's A&T's homecoming. I mean, how big a football game is that going to be? First year, right, that a and is going to play a non. I mean, I know this is like for HBCU alums, and I think a lot of A&T alums and A&T supporters, uh, especially with the move to the Big South, I think one of the first questions from a football, from an overall uh, standpoint, uh, it, it was really the homecoming. How would the homecoming uh, look? How would that look? You're not playing an HBCU opponent. I mean, I don't know if that, I mean, I, I, I can't, I don't look at it from that point of view. I look at it strictly from, uh, a more of a collegiate point of view. And then to me, the atmosphere is the atmosphere. I mean, the, the A&T homecoming is phenomenal, right? But now that you add a Monmouth as your opponent, that's a big, I mean, homecoming is big in of itself. Now it's a big time football game. Like it's a huge football game, which probably is going to have implications down the stretch, especially because homecoming uh, for A&T and the matchup between A&T and Monmouth 
is towards the latter part of the season. So, but for me, appropriately, Monmouth, Kennesaw State, one and two, then A and T uh, is number three, and that's how I would have picked it. Like I, I you know, your A and T, you're coming into a conference. Yes, you're a perennial, uh, you're a perennial FCS contender. There isn't any question about that. Uh, but I think when you're coming into a conference, you're going to show some respect to those uh, that have been getting it done in the conference. And it's not like, oh, Monmouth is up and down. Like Monmouth, the last couple of years has been consistent, right? Kennesaw State has been consistent. These are consistent foot, uh, FCS playoff appearing teams the last couple of years. When I looked at the rest of the, the conference, I mean, obviously Hampton's been there a couple of years. I think Hampton's going to be improved. Uh, Robert Prunty's the coach there. Uh, Campbell, I think, is going to be improved in the conference uh, this year. I looked at Charleston Southern. A&T beat Charleston Southern. A&T has beaten Gardner-Webb within the last couple of years. So, appropriately, I think A&T fits right in that number three uh, spot. Plenty of college football talk today here on the program, including Texas and Oklahoma. I have some thoughts on that. I have some thoughts on the the NIL or name image and likeness. Like I'm not like I'm old school. I, you know, I get it. I think the, I think the athletes, student athletes should receive some kind of compensation. Uh, when we had Lynn Thompson, who was now the retired uh, former athletics director at Bethune Cookman, got his thoughts on the whole NIL deal uh, for me. I mean, it, you know, it, it doesn't seem right. Uh, and again, I mean, I get it, but it doesn't seem right that a player who has not even played a single collegiate football game can already have a million dollars in endorsements and other players can't. At least with the NCAA model, whether you liked it or not, from a student-athlete perspective, student-athletes, they, 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 A, couldn't get paid. I mean, we know maybe some of them were getting some, you know, some, some benefits, right? But, I mean, uh, across the board, but, but if you got caught, then there were consequences to pay uh, for that. So at least with the old rules, it was a it was a level playing field for all student athletes. It, was that fair? I mean, to me, in collegiate sports, it's amateur sports, right? It's not professional sports, which college, uh, especially major college football. Uh, well, major college sports and, and specifically major college football seems to be going down the road of uh, of being professional. Uh, it already has, but uh, I mean, it's going more down the road. We're seeing these, you know, SECs getting ready to be a true super conference. Uh, what's going to happen to the Big 12 now? But with respect, and we'll talk more about that. But with respect to the NIL, now you're going to have student athletes that are able to make money. And that, that I mean, that, I'm, that's fine. And it, there's rules to it. And I probably need to be more educated in terms of what the universities can offer in terms of assistance and actually what some of these companies in terms of that's what they do is they help student athletes to navigate the landscape of NIL. What is their role? What are they able to do? How do they as companies benefit? Also, um, are there uh, are there black owned companies or companies or minority, if you will, owned companies out there that are also be able to to, uh, 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 you know, be able to to uh, show these student athletes how they're able to uh, to benefit from their name, image and likeness. Like that's got to be a key. I think black owned companies, minority owned companies have to be involved in that 
uh, as well. Are 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 those companies in that space? But I, I again, just from an overall standpoint, like I don't know, you know, you don't even play a down of college football or uh, a a quarter of college basketball or whatever the sport may be. You're already made a million dollars off your name, image, and likeness coming into a university. Like I have a problem uh, with that. And I, I, at least with the old way student, there was no, there wasn't anything like this. Like, you know, you may have been a star football player, another star football player, another star basketball player, or, or even another sport, a volleyball player, uh, a track and field athlete. They, you weren't, you weren't getting, Money now it's an uneven playing field, and 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 again, I mean, some have earned the right to make money, uh, some have not earned the right to make money, but make they're making money anyway. So I I sort of have a problem, uh, an issue I think with that. And over the next, you know, couple of weeks or months or what have you, we'll try to get some, uh, some uh, some experts, if you will, in here to talk more about name, image. And likeness. We can talk uh, about the Aaron Rodgers fiasco. He's in camp now. Like we went through all of that, right? To for him to ultimately end up in camp now. Some concessions were made. He has he's on a one year deal as opposed to a long term contract. We can see what's going to happen moving forward, right? Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers. You know, is he a pre? Is he a prima donna? Right? Like we can talk about that whole uh, fiasco. Uh, we can talk also uh, about it, it, and I may, you know, getting back right to the Oklahoma and Texas deal, which we will talk more about. I'll I'll make it try to make it akin to HBCU uh, sports, more specifically at the Division One level. Is it akin to a Florida A and M and Bethune Cookman moving from the MIAC to the SWAC? Not so much uh, in a respect when you're talking about losing major college football programs, then yes, from a financial standpoint, not necessarily because, I mean, even if we went pound for pound in terms of the finances uh, related to a Texas and what it makes related to a FAMU uh, or a Bethune-Cookman and what it what it makes relative, it's got you got to be relatively speaking because obviously Texas is making a bunch of money and, and Florida A&M and Bethune-Cookman are not. Uh, really, there are a few HBCU programs uh, that do. There's only a handful, uh, at least on the Division One level, that actually that actually make money, right? That actually make money. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe FAMU, at least from an, a USA Today study that was done a couple of years ago, I don't believe FAMU nor Bethune Cookman were in 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 that category. So you can't really compare it from a monetary standpoint. Uh, but, you know, football playing wise, I mean, yeah, you definitely can make the comparison. But what would be, you know, sort of an HBCU uh, scenario that would be akin uh, over maybe overall? I don't know what, would a, you know, what would a would a Grambling, you know, leaving the SWAC to go to another conference? I mean, you know, I don't again, I don't know that Grambling has the, you know, the the finance, the finances, again, comparatively speaking, that a Texas and even an Oklahoma, like they're almost printing money at Texas. Texas has got its own network. Like Texas was in a lot of respects, a lot of policy made in the big 12 because of Texas. Like, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's a little bit different on that front, but we can talk uh, a little bit more 
about that as well. So we got a lot to get to today on the program. All of those topics of conversation are open for discussion. Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. If you want to discuss any of this matter, these matters here uh, on the program, got to shout out my man Chuck. Got to shout out my man Chuck uh, in Monroe, Louisiana, who listens to Box to Row each and every week. We appreciate you, Chuck, and we appreciate all of the listeners that listen to us uh, each and every week on Box to Row and those, of course, that listen to us uh, currently right now on ESPNU Radio uh, uh, on Sirius XM, which, of course, is Channel 84. Up next here on the program, one of the bigger headlines of the week, Simone Biles withdrawing from USA competition, and it was a big, big deal, obviously, and we're going to talk a lot uh, about that in the next segment. And I uh, appreciate you making uh, Box to Row a part of your day again. If you want to participate on the conversation, hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. On the way, it's more of From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Right, 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 right here, right here. Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timberlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom of four hundred of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at www.marjoriesbeefjerky.com. That's www.marjoriesbeefjerky.com. Marjorie's Beef Jerky is the best tasting beef jerky on this planet. Marjorie's Beef Jerky. Yeah, that's right. Because that's the way we roll. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Welcome back to Box to Row. Join us on the conversation via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. If you missed last week's interview with the great Bobby Dandridge, we had a great conversation, talk with him about for so many years not being inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, even though to me and to many others his accolades warranted such an induction. We talked about talk with him about his time uh, at Norfolk State. Talk with him about the Bucks winning the championships uh, championship. Talk with him about the seventy one championship he won with the Bucks. Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Oscar Robertson, and then of course the seventy eight championship he won with the Washington Bullets with Wes Unseld and Elvin Hayes. That conversation is on our website right now podcast on our website right now the conversation with the legend bobby d bobby dandridge on our website at box we're also we are also bringing back the hbcu football daily podcast this is going to be season number five of the hbcu football 
daily podcast. It's going to come back beginning on Wednesday, August the 11th. Wednesday, August the 11th, the HBCU Football Daily Podcast returns. You can find it on our website at BoxToRow.com. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts as well as iHeartMedia.com as well. So let's talk about Simone Biles. And uh, Simone Biles, um, you could, you know, it's interesting when, when it was mentioned and I hadn't really, I've, I haven't really gotten into the Olympics like that. But at one point when the U S Olympics, uh, Olympic gymnastic women's gymnastics team uh, was in second place, they, the mention was that um, even though uh, Simone was, uh, was number one, she was leading, I think the all around um, it, it, it wasn't a typical Simone Biles performance. And I didn't see the, the performance um, you know, Simone Biles is like a machine, really, right? Like, you look at what she's been able to do. So, like, just a little history going back to 2014 after the World Championships in October of 2014. We had Simone as a guest on this program, and that she was 17 at the time. That's going back seven years ago. Uh, and, of course, had her back on the program 2017 after the 2016 Olympics, which uh, USA Gymnastics and herself absolutely dominant. So when I started to read those stories, I was like, okay, well, you know, one of those things, I mean, she's 24, probably a little bit older, uh, right, when you're talking about gymnasts. But, hey, you know, she's making her last hurrah. She's going to get it done. But then when it came out uh, on Tuesday, that she had withdrawn. The first thing I thought about, or the only thing that came out is she had withdrawn. It almost seemed like a, maybe a medical deal. Maybe it was a COVID situation or what have you, at least when I saw it at first. I don't remember the exact wording that I saw, but in my mind, I was thinking, oh, oh, oh. I was like, wow, this is terrible. Uh, maybe it's a COVID-19 uh, situation. But then as I got to, started to read more and saw uh, what the situation uh, was about my initial reaction was like, man, wow, that that is very tough. Um, when I read more about why, uh, because I think sometimes and I didn't have a chance to see her her press conference. Like, I think sometimes you have to put not sometimes a lot of times you have to put things in context. And so when I when I heard her really speak and I watched the press conference, I'm like, you know what? I get it right. I really understand where she's coming from. Um, you know, this is a situation, as a lot of people have said, where it's when you're doing gymnastics, you know, this is a life. I mean, when you're especially what they're doing, you know, with the with with the with a lot of times, the, the you know, the high beam in some respects, but the but the vault, right? Like that's a life and it, it like literally is a life and death situation. You make one move the wrong way. And you could end up seriously injured to the point that when she did one of her vaults, she was supposed to have done, I think it was a double, whatever it was. She only did like a one and a half turns and then landed, right? That could have gone terribly wrong. So for her, in the best interest of not of, of herself, right? But not only herself, but also the team, she says, I need to step away. Because she, I mean, she still cheerleaded for the team. She was still around the team. 
The team obviously run, uh, really rallied around her. And what I think was appropriately said was that, and, and it's right, like we're not in this position if not for Simone. I mean, what she has meant to USA Gymnastics over the last seven years has been, I mean, you, it has been absolutely tremendous to say and to, to, which is widely said that she's the greatest gymnast of all time is, I think is, especially when you look at what she has accomplished, not only in the Olympics, because we only think Olympics, right? We think Olympics, Olympics, Olympics. But you've got world championships, too. I mentioned 2014 at the age of 17. She, like, dominated. That's that's what first caught my eye about this young lady, right? Uh, you know, we we haven't seen. I mean, you can, you know, we've seen, you know, we've seen the Gabby Douglases, um, you know, certainly of the world, the Dominique Dawes's of the world. But you don't see a lot of black you know, we don't we haven't seen at least historically like we're seeing it more now. Right. But historically, we haven't seen a lot of black gymnasts either. Right. So particularly with that 2014, I'm like, oh, man, I think she's going to be. I mean, she's already she did something very significant. Right. Uh, to win all of those medals. I think it was like four at the world championships. And that was in 2014. Uh, and then, you know, obviously what she's been able to do since that time. So. Listen, I, I, you know, mental health is serious. Like that's that it, it's really, really it's a serious issue. It's a serious deal that I don't think we talk a lot about. And we talk, you know, we want our, you know, everybody, people want their athletes to perform and all those kind of things. But there's a like even in this, like what what we do here, like what I do here, you know, I come on, talk with you guys every week. You know, I give opinions. Uh, right. Uh, sometimes I write opinions, right? And everybody's not going to agree with everything you have to say. And sometimes, and a lot of times, there is criticism that comes about from that, right? Uh, and, and for me, right, like I'm not trying to compare what I do here to what Simone Biles does in any respect, but sometimes when you read what people have to say, uh, particularly because I, I don't mind criticism like I, me myself I'm okay I mean it's fine like you don't have to agree with me you know I'm sure a lot of the things that I say on this program or that I write people are not going to agree with and I'm okay with that but sometimes people are ugly and nasty on social media they just are for whatever reason like she's caught a lot of backlash in the political world unfortunately over her decision, which to me was a selfless act, she put not only herself and her mental well-being in the forefront, because to her point, you know, she's been doing a lot for these last seven years to represent the United States of America. And and at this point, it's sort of it, it overwhelmed her like that's going to happen. That happens sometimes. So. To receive the backlash, particularly the political backlash that Simone Biles and the vitriol that Simone Biles has received, to me, is absolutely inexcusable. We can talk about whether you agree or disagree with the decision 
that she's made. But it was her decision and it was the decision that she made based, uh, as she put it, based upon her mental state. And a lot of times when you're talking about mental state, like, like, you know, we, we all, I think, I mean, I think we all, right, have some kind of, I don't, I don't want to say mental issues. I don't know if issues is the right word, but it's, it, you know, I mean, sometimes we do things, right, and say things and, you know, maybe we're not in the right frame of mind when we, you know, when we say things or when we do a lot of a lot of people, when they do a lot of different things like you, we can look at a lot of the ills of society. People are not in their right state of mind. Now, I'm not again to 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 not equate things that happen in society in the ills of society to what Simone Biles is going through. All I'm saying is she had. A chief, you know, she mentioned that she was overwhelmed in essence, uh, needed a break. It was a mental situation and she decided to retire. All that Simone Biles has done for the sport of gymnastics. Right. And let's not even get into the Larry Nasser situation. Right. But all she's done for gymnastics to represent the United States of America on the world stage in the world championships in the Olympics, even right now. And again, you, we can, we can debate whether you agree with the decision or not, but some of the, the uh, tweets and what has been, you know, what I've seen on social media um, with respect to her decision, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm going to, you know, read even uh, I, I, you know, it, it was she was she was termed uh, or her actions were termed selfish, selfish, childish national embarrassment. Really? Like we're going there like this is Simone Biles. You understand what I'm saying? Like this is Simone Biles, the greatest gymnast ever. OK, and what she's done to represent the United States of America and to have these kind of terms, you know, to me, those people, you know, have a mental illness, in my opinion. Right. Like, what are we talking about? I mean, what you know, she made a decision for her mental health doesn't take away from any of the things that she's already accomplished and by the way, it's not like she took her bag and went home. She's still there rooting on her team. And you don't think that that means something to those young women? Of course it does. So you you, you read this foolishness and a lot of times you just got to, you know, you just got to take it for what it is. Uh, just a lot of foolishness. We can argue uh, again. I, I wouldn't argue with anyone who, you know, uh, who, who wanted to, to say that they didn't agree with it. Right. But when you start getting into name calling and all of that kind of foolishness, man, that's where you lose me. Your thoughts hit me up via Twitter at box to row B O X T O R O W. We've got more of box to row on the other side. Box to is your source for conversations with and content on some of the biggest names in sports, HBCU sports and entertainment. Box to row. You're listening to box to row. 
listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to Box to Box to Box to Row. Back here on Box to Row. You can join us on the conversation via Twitter at Box to Row. B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W in the last segment, talking some Simone Biles. In the first segment, talking, really setting the table, talking about a number of different things, including Oklahoma and Texas's move to the SEC or proposed or impending or all but done, however you want to look at it, uh, that particular move. Let, let me switch gears a little bit and talk some National Football League. And I look at the Aaron Rodgers situation. First of all, I didn't see, so I didn't see the Aaron Rodgers entire press conference in its entire context. I will say that some of the sound pieces, including the fact that he said, listen, in essence, he says, Green, we all know Green Bay is not a destination spot. People come here to play because of me and he did say because of me and because of the team right I mean if you're from a certain area I don't know if you're if you're from Green Bay isn't that a diss like it may be I mean it may not be a destination spot it may be very very cold in the winters and all of those kind of good things I don't know a lot or enough about Green Bay to really speak on it but I know that if it were my city I would feel dissed, okay? I would feel a certain kind of way about that, especially with the way this whole thing broke down. He also said that he wanted to have more input in terms of uh, personnel decisions, uh, free agency, et cetera. This is where I stand here, okay? This is where I, well, this is my thought. Um, I realize that in today's society where it's more about uh, the players and the players want to have more say and and all of those kind of things. And 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 that's I mean, I guess that's I mean, that that's oh, I don't know. That's I mean, I'm not going to say it's OK, but if that's what a certain organization wants to do, then that's they do what they need to do. I do think and as I said before, I do think the Packers were wrong in not letting or not informing Aaron Rodgers that they were going to take Jordan Love. I listen, this is a, this has got to be a team of, like really the the Packers don't owe Aaron don't owe Aaron Rodgers an explanation if I'm looking at it straight up, right? They don't. But w- you're in this like this should be a partnership. And I think he said it correctly when he talked to Kenny Maine either last month or, or in May. That, hey, this should be a, you know, we should communicate. This should be a partnership. And I definitely agree with that. Just 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 give me a heads up. Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're looking to draft a quarterback. We're not asking for your blessing or asking, what do you think? You just let them know, hey, we're looking to draft a quarterback. Nothing to, to worry about. Obviously, we're just sort of looking at our future way down the road that, you know, and, and if you just. If you just communicate, I think he's right from that vantage point. But to say, and I realize he looks at a Tom Brady who uh, was able to get a lot of the players that he wanted and went on to win a Super Bowl with the Bucks. I get all of that with the Buccaneers. I, I mean, I get all of that. But just because 
certain players may have that right. I think Tom Brady has earned uh, that right, especially when he's coming to a new organization. I don't know how New England operated in terms of whether they ran. I mean, I'm sure they probably ran, you know, let maybe let Tom Brady know what, what they were doing and just did it, right? I mean, he didn't have much to work with, meaning Tom Brady, really throughout the course of his career in terms in New England in terms of receivers. Didn't have a lot to work with, quite frankly. Uh, but, you know, they're, the teams, and in this case, the Packers are under no obligation to really do that. I just think you run it by him, let him know. But, I mean, to drag this thing out, like, you know, Rodgers, you know, he went through the season, played ball, uh, right? Didn't say much about it. Wins the MVP. Goes to the NFC Championship game. By the way, I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers was the reason that the Packers lost in the NFC Championship game. But at the end of the day, the Packers didn't get it done. And in part, it's a team effort. So it some of that has to fall on Rodgers. So to sit up there and say, well, you know, I feel like I should have input in team decisions, in free agency, in personnel. Like, I don't agree with that at all. I don't, I, I just don't. I mean, I get it. He talked and he made a good point about saying, you know, it's my future and we want to work together. I mean, I'm all for that, but I don't think if that the Packers should say, well, you know, if they want to run it by him, then fine, you run it by him. But I mean, you know, we're, it, we're it's much different today, right? than how it used to be. And and talking about players should have more input and be a part of being the war. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, it's ridiculous. He sulked, you know, at the end of the day, felt disrespected. I mean, I can understand feeling disrespected. I think the Packers did everything that they could. Ultimately, you know, he didn't, he didn't, I don't know that he ultimately got what he wanted. I mean, I guess he gets out. He only has a, a one-year deal. And then ultimately after this season, I mean, I think it's a Super Bowl or bust type of situation. I, I don't think the Packers are are going to overcome the Bucks. I think, I, I think if before Aaron Rodgers actually came back and reported, I think the team that was picked to finish uh, to win the North was Minnesota, which to me is unbelievable because – Minnesota, uh, you know, I, you you know, if you've listened to this show for any amount of time, I mean, Kirk Cousins. I mean, I don't really think he's that great of a quarterback. He's 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 solid, but he's not going to win you a championship. So, interesting dynamic. But what we went through all of that drama for all of these months, when he said I'm not going to play, well, he he put it out there that he's not going to play for the Packers. He's done with the Packers. And ultimately, he comes back to play. All right? Even though he looks like he got a little bit of a deal, he ultimately comes back to play. Just a, just a bizarre uh, scenario, uh, really, to say the least. So sticking with the NFL, the all training camps are open now. I want to talk a little NFC East because last year, I really thought that it was going to be the Dallas Cowboys that were going to win the NFC East. I felt like they had uh, everything they needed. They had all the talent in the world. Dak Prescott, I was wrong about Dak Prescott. I thought he really needed Ezekiel Elliott, so I thought the Elliott signing was great. Dak needed, turned out Dak didn't really need Elliott. And then when you look at last year, 
to start the season? I mean, Prescott was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, the Cowboys were losing, but he it wasn't because of him. He was playing extremely well. He goes down with the injury. Well, I'm not going to make the same mistake again this year. Uh, again, the Cowboys probably, and now again, that Prescott not going to throw for a couple of days, right? He's injured a little bit, maybe coming back. I don't know what the injury is, but he's not going to play or he's not going to practice for a couple of days. So provided that he's healthy, I mean, it should be a, I mean, they should be really, really good. Offensive line should be uh, healthy. You look at the defense, the defense should be a lot better uh, than it was last year. So we'll ultimately see how things play out, but I cannot go. And, and pick the Cowboys this year. You look at what happened last year. It was an absolute mess throughout the course of the season. I'm going to go with my team, the Washington football team. I mean, I think when you look at what Washington has been able to bring in, all of the free agent signings at receivers, at the receiver position, you look at corner, you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick, the signing. Now, this is the thing about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, I'm not sold on Fitzpatrick. Um because he's sort of been up and down. But when I went back and looked at what he was able to do throughout the course of his career, particularly as a starter, I mean, he wasn't great, but he wasn't awful either. And I think, you know, I I, I don't know. Like, to me, I always thought Kyle, Kyle Allen was the guy for the Washington football team. He's still trying to come back, so he's not quite ready. If Fitzpatrick doesn't get it done, uh, Taylor Heineke, I mean, I just don't think he's ready. Like, he, he hasn't played enough, right? He's coming from JMU. He was on the street. The Washington football team picked him up, playoff. There's no tape on him, right? The Buccaneers didn't have any tape on him. He did He did well, well enough to come from off the street to now, in essence, become the third-string quarterback for the Washington football team. And, of course, when you look at the quarterback position, Right nationally, no position. I, I don't. I'm not going to say is held in more regard. But when, you know, I mean, when you're talking about the Washington football team quarterback position, like that is of prestige, right? So he he's now the third string guy. A lot of weapons. The defense is great. They re-sign Jonathan Allen. They they're re-signing guys. The offensive line is going to be retooled. Brandon Sheriff is going to play under. The franchise tag, you know, I do think that the Giants, right, are going to be much improved uh, this year. I like the Giants last year. Like, I thought the Giants were really, really good last year, especially defensively. If they can get some kind of semblance of, uh, I would say, progression, right, from that quarterback position in Daniel Jones, he's got, you know, he's got some receivers now. Saquon Barkley, if he can come back healthy, the defense was already pretty tough. Like, I think the Giants are going to be really, really good. I don't know um, about the Eagles. Like, I'm not sold uh, on the Eagles. I don't know um, if the Eagles – I don't think the Eagles are going to be really uh, – quite frankly, I don't think the Eagles are going to be that great this year. Again, in the NFC East, I like the Washington football team. I think the defense is tremendous. It's one of the best – uh, in the National Football League, and you add some offensive weapons, uh, Humphreys, um, you know, they re-sign um, Logan, the tight end, 
The you know your running back position should be strengthened and healthy this year. The like I said, the offensive line, and I I I think it's it's more steady. I mean, it's definitely you know more steady uh, when you're talking about at the quarterback position. And think about this: the Washington football team struggled. Uh, there was a good stretch, right, of the season when the quarterback position was solid. Towards the end of the season. The quarterback position was not solid at all. In spite of that, able to do just enough, and that defense was really, really good, ultimately win the division and uh, ultimately went to the playoffs. You upgrade, I think, at the quarterback position, and I think the Washington football team wins the NFC East. Your thoughts on Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Up next, we're going to talk some NBA draft, and I want to talk a little bit about the gesture that the NBA made during the draft related to Terrence Clark. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. We're back here on box to row. At this point, we've talked Simone Biles. We've talked Aaron Rodgers. We've talked NFC East. We talked a little bit about the Oklahoma and Texas situation in terms of both of those schools leaving the Big 12 to join the SEC. And, uh, you know, to me, athletics and specifically big time college athletics, if you will, continues to be more like professional sports. I'm a professional sports guy, so I, I really love my professional sports. For college, for me, like I don't want to see – and it just becomes confusing to me trying to figure out – I mean, a lot of time – I'm going to be honest with you. Like when I'm when I'm thinking – in my mind, right, Syracuse automatically to me is associated with the Big East. Like I grew up in Washington. I grew up a Georgetown fan. It was always the Big East, always the Big East. Uh, for me and and sometimes I have to catch myself even though it's been however many years it's been many many years since Syracuse has been uh, in the ACC I still always think Big East right so I have to catch myself uh, a lot of times just a lot of movement in college football it's not pro sports but you know in a lot of respects it, it is being treated like pro sports and the, and the move or uh, the proposed move the impending move with Oklahoma and Texas really, really speaks to that. I mean, it really, really speaks to that. Going to change the landscape of collegiate athletics, I guess more specifically football. I mean, what does the Big 12 do now? Does the Big 12 try to get some other schools to join its conference? I mean, you lose a Texas, though. I mean, and a Oklahoma, for that matter, because you look at Texas and the money machine that Texas is, even though its relevancy in football has been long ago. Like, they haven't been relevant in football in a long time. I, I think with Sarkeesian there, you know, maybe it's a little bit different uh, now moving forward or it could be a little bit different. And of course, we're not talking about something, you know, this move that's going to be overnight. It's not like next year that Texas and Oklahoma are going to join the SEC still some time to kind of build up, uh, get your get some recruits in there, uh, knowing ultimately that it's going to be an SEC school. Get some of the recruits 
to kind of stay in state. Uh, but listen, it, it, you know, it, we're we're moving and you look at the NIL uh, and we're moving into where it's becoming less uh, really less amateurish, if you will, with respect to college athletics at the big time levels and becoming uh, more professional. So, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, the NFL I'm, I'm, for me. And especially when we're talking about football, because this football is king, like football is your moneymaker. It's very few schools where basketball uh, is the driving force, right? It's all about college football. And uh, to me, uh, we're getting into that uh, to that area where, uh, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, you know, I've I've got the National Football League. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. Uh, there. So we talked a little bit uh, about that as well. If you want to join us on the conversation, hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. You know, I'm sitting there watching the NBA draft on Thursday night, and I'm waiting for the Wizards. And by the way, we're going to talk about uh, the Lakers, the Wizards trade. It was a big, big deal. We're going to talk some NBA draft in this segment and get your thoughts uh, on the draft as well. I'm waiting for the pick and all of and it, it, you know, on the screen, it'll say, OK, the pick is in. Right. And it never said that. But all of a sudden I see um, uh, the commissioner, uh, Adam Silver, coming uh, to the podium and he mentions the young man, Terrence Clark from Kentucky, that would have been a first round draft pick this year. He ultimately died in a car accident back in April but the NBA did something that I really wasn't expecting. I mean, I, I don't, I can't really say it was a surprise, but I wasn't expecting it. They honored this young man, his mother, I think it was his mother, his sister, and his brother, little brother, as a matter of fact, all were uh, in uh, right there on the floor. And Adam Silver really talked about Terrence Clark and the fact that he would have been part of the NBA family. And they said right before, again, the Wizards pick, they say he, he uh, Adam Silver says in the 2021 uh, NBA draft, the NBA selects Terrence Clark from Kentucky. And I had to clap my hands on that. I mean, I th- it, w- it, it was really moving. Um, I know it really moved his mother, Terrence Clark's mother, his family. And I, I, I got to applaud like that. That's big. Like the NBA is different. NBA does stuff different. Uh, I like I like the you know, I like what the NBA uh, really stands for uh, in a lot of respects. And especially when you're talking about pro sports and what its players mean to the respective to the league. Right. And, you know, I, I really applaud the NBA for recognizing Terrence Clark because it it's something I, I remember reading the headlines when that happened but it, it sort of it, it, it I've forgotten about it you know and I, I don't know maybe a lot of people had forgotten about it but the NBA brought it back to the forefront about this young man right and what potentially he could have been uh, definitely tragic it's just a tragic situation but the NBA brought light to it and he'll forever, when you talk about the NBA draft, to me, I mean, we can, you know, we can talk about Cade Cunningham going number one. We can talk about 
uh, the Lakers and the Wizards trade. But that will be etched in my mind, right? That's going to be etched in my mind as a moment in the 2021 NBA draft that really uh, kind of, kind of, uh, it, it it sort of stole the show for me at least. Watching it live again, everything for me, a lot of things for me in context, uh, right? But really, kind of stole the show for me. So let's talk about this NBA draft, right? Not a big surprise. Kate Cunningham goes number one to Detroit, the young man out of Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State. That is, looks like he he's going to be a tremendous player. Has a lot of upside. I like what Detroit is doing. I like what Troy Weaver, again, we had Troy Weaver on the program back in the beginning of May, the general manager of the Pistons. He's a Bowie State alum, and he's really making some moves. He's made some moves here uh, to to try to get Detroit back. Now, you know, Cade Cunningham's not going to be a guy that's going to come in. You know, he'll, he'll be a guy that can come in right away. And help Detroit right away, but he's you know it's not like Detroit's going to be overnight. the The Pistons are going to be great. I mean, what the Pistons what won what like twenty games last year was a struggle, but they traded away most of their all of really all of their star players to try to start on a rebuild. So this I you know look at the coach Dwayne Casey like right a former coach of the year. I mean, I think ultimately that. The Pistons are going to be able to get it done. It's going to take some time, uh, right? But you gotta like what uh, what the uh, that pick, and then ultimately some of the moves uh, that the Pistons have made to try and um, and try to turn things back around. You, anyway, I was reminded, right, that this was the highest pick. That so Detroit's last overall number one pick was Bob, the great Bob Lemire, that who they picked in 1970. Their last highest pick was, remember the name Darko Milovich? Never really materialized for the Pistons. Number two overall pick in 2003. But the Pistons were so, I mean, like, they could absorb that kind of hit, right? Milovich never, I mean, he never materialized. They were able to, the Pistons were able to absorb that because remember in 2004, the Pistons won the championship. But that's a pick that is haunted uh, the Pistons and probably set the Pistons back. Yeah, they won it in 04. They were competitive uh, for maybe a couple of years after that. And then, you know, that sort of was it. And now the Pistons are where they are. And so they're having to build uh, from the ground up. So the big blockbuster deal of the night, the Lakers. Ultimately, Lakers ultimately sending to the Wizards, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and Kyle Kuzma, in addition to the number 22 overall pick to the Washington Wizards. In return, the Wizards send Russell Westbrook and a couple of future second-round picks to the L.A. Lakers. Now, if you look at it from a Lakers perspective, they get a point guard in there. They get a superstar guy, a, a, a guy that uh, is a really player is going to go hard all of the time. Uh, right. This is a good move for the Lakers. No question about it. You you get that guy in there that aspires to win a championship. Look at his time in D.C. The, 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 the year in D.C. was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. 
and became the all-time leader in terms of triple doubles and, oh, by the way, averaged another triple double this year and really helped Washington to the playoffs. So the Lakers are getting a a, a well-known player uh, maybe, yeah, definitely on the backside of his career, but can still play, still has that energy, still has that bounce, that lift. Uh, yeah, he's going to he's gonna turn the ball over, right? His jump shot's not the is not great, but he's going to be that guy, I think, that is a veteran and definitely someone that LeBron and Anthony Davis definitely needs. But you know what? We got to look at the flip side of this because everybody's talking about the benefit for the Lakers. I want to talk about the benefit for the Wizards. So with the Wizards, I mean, you're getting uh, Kuzma's very inconsistent, but maybe he needed a change of scenery. So maybe that's going to be a benefit to him Uh, for the Wizards. It's much more cap friendly. They get out of the John Wall contract, right? Because they remember last year they swapped the Wizards were able to get Westbrook in exchange for John Wall. So now you're up under that contract. Um, You get a guy in Harold that I think still has some game. He's a big guy, uh, right? Uh, The Wizards need some some toughness down there, uh, down low. And uh, so I think this is, and then you get Caldwell Pope, good defender, really, really good shooter, and a number one pick, which ultimately the Wizards traded away uh, to Indiana. Ultimately, in that trade, the Wizards get Aaron Holiday and the number 31 pick, which is forward Isaiah Todd. So as much as this is a great move for the Lakers, I also like it for the Wizards. Listen, my time is about up. I thank you for yours. If you live in the Triangle in North Carolina, we're bringing back the Box to Row countdown to kickoff. It's going to be on Saturday, August the 21st. As well, he's going to have more information. We're going to have some coaches that are going to be there. Very excited about it. Keep it on your radar and log on to BoxToRow.com for more information. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. I want to follow you.